Uh, we're in Acts 11. And uh, so if you'll stand for the reading of God's word. Okay, Acts 11, starting verse 19. Now there were those scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveling as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found them, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that, uh, that your word is living and active, sharper than anything. And uh, it works in us. And so, Lord, we, we pray that uh, your word and your Holy Spirit would work in us today. Speak to us, direct us. It's always about you, Jesus, and we thank you in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Some of you may not know this. Um, I was a a pastor's kid growing up, and uh, growing up in Brooklyn, and I was a pastor's kid, and uh, my brother and I, you know, we grew up in a church with a lot of new followers, a lot of new followers, and, and we had people in our church that had no idea what Christian culture looked like and what it meant to, be, to behave in a church, right? They showed up. They were compelled by the message of Jesus. They're like, we, we want to understand what's happening, right? They wanted to learn. They were hungry. Their friends were bringing them, and, uh, and it, was, it was crazy because you'd be sitting, and somebody would raise their hand, and they'd say, Pastor, I don't understand what this is about. I don't get it, right? Or this is rubbing me the wrong way. Or I have a question, pastor. Right, people would, uh, people, during worship, people would raise their hand and go, uh, hey, can we sing that ocean song again? I love that, that's my jam. We want to hear oceans, right? Um, I'd be outside on break and I'd be standing with some of the older guys. I was 10 or 11 years old, very vivid memory. And they threatened me. Right, we're sitting there talking, and, and they're all smoking. Right, they're sitting outside church smoking, and uh, they said, "They said, Scott, if we ever see you smoke, 
wreck you. You know, they said, because, because you know what, we're smoking, but the Lord, for the Lord, smoking, getting us to quit is way down the list. Like, there's a lot of things that he has to work on in us, right? And that, he's not even thinking about that yet. Just know, just know that he's still working on us, right? It was real, right? Our group, it was, it was authentic and real, and it was a beautiful time with beautiful people, and I'll never forget it. And a big part was, we didn't really know how we were doing, doing it, right? We were, like, people were, they came hungry, and, and one of the cool things was my, my parents, my mom's here, my, my mom and dad, they, they weren't real keen on telling people, cluing them how to behave, right? They're like, we just want you. We just want you. The message is for everybody. The message of Jesus is for everybody. Just come, right? You don't have to, you don't have to behave this way or that way. You don't have to figure it, have it figured out. Just come. And our scripture today is about those kind of people, right? It's about people who don't know how to do church, right? They didn't know. They're like, okay, we're going to figure this out. And uh, it's so exciting that we, when we think about this passage, when we look at it and we say, wow, these people didn't really know how to do it. And uh, word got back to the church in Jerusalem, and Barnabas is uh, sent out. You know, the church, the, the, uh, the apostles in Jerusalem, they're like, we've got to figure this out. What's going on up there, right? People are coming to know Jesus that, that don't have a Jewish background, Right? They're telling other people that are not Jews, what, what's going on, right? So they sent Barnabas, and this is the story of Barnabas too, who he was, he's called the encourager, but he is super bold and willing to step into what God's doing. He's not afraid. You know, in the scripture, it describes, how does it describe him? It says he's a good man, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. You know what happens when you're full of faith in the Holy Spirit? You're not, you're not constrained by fear, Right? How many times do we make decisions based on fear? But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're a person of faith, it doesn't matter, that stuff. And so when, when Barnabas shows up, he does what maybe some other leaders wouldn't do. He says, it's good. This is good. Keep going. Keep going. I want to take us, uh, I just want to go back on the timeline. Let's, let's talk through a little bit what's happened, right? So Jesus, in his ministry, Right? He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's healing the sick. He's doing miracles. He's raising people from the dead. He's betrayed. He is crucified. He, he's raised again. And then um, where we find he comes back, and uh, there he is, 40 days with his followers. Right, And, um, and so Acts 1 right, starts out, and it's around a meal. And Jesus says to them, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. My father has a gift for you. I want you to stay in Jerusalem and be ready. You remember what the response was back in that passage? What was said? They said, wait, 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 Jesus, hold on, hold on. I thought the kingdom of God was coming. I thought you were going to bring the kingdom, right? And man, you read that and you go, oh, after all this time, these followers of Jesus don't understand that God's way is different from our way, right? They are, man, they, they're camped out, they're ready. They're like, we're in Jerusalem, this is where it's got to happen, this is where it's going to go down. And Jesus goes, wait, wait a second. 
you're going to receive my spirit. Okay? When you receive my spirit, um, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They're like, we got that. We got that. Judea and Samaria. Yeah. And to the ends of the earth. Remember that part? To the ends of the earth. Well, hey, the, uh, that, that's a little far, right? We're getting a little far. But Jesus, Jesus just said, chill. You know, you guys got to settle down. This is what I'm doing. And then guess what? Jesus left. He had just come back 40 days. Everything was great. Okay, you, Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to be my witnesses. And then he's gone. What? And so the disciples, they're sitting around and they're telling stories. They're like, okay, this is who he said he was. They're sharing this with them. Acts, we see in Acts where the tongues of fire come down. People from all over, Jews from all over the world are having encounters with the Lord, right? It's really exciting. And uh, lives are being changed. And then persecution happens, right? And the disciples are like, wait a second. We had this figured out. From a strategic standpoint, right, Jerusalem would be the place, wouldn't it? This should be the place. And, and, it was, we, and, and church growth, church growth people, they talk about this idea and they, they call it the attraction model. Hey, we're here. We have a good story, right? Things are happening. People are going to come and join us. And uh, God's like, no, that's not the way. That's not the way I'm going to do it. Right? I have a different strategy. You know, if you were to ask the disciples, if you were to say, you know, you go and sit down with Peter and, and James and John, and you're sitting there and, uh, in Jerusalem, and you say, hey, what do you think? What's a good strategy? You know, we have Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria figured out. How are we going to get to the rest of it? You know, and, and the disciples, very far from their mind was this idea. Well, let's pray that everybody tries to kill us, and then we run. Right? And that's our strategy. That's our strategy to reach the world. Try to kill us. We run away. And somehow the world gets the message of Jesus. No, that's not what they were thinking, right? Not at all. Not at all. I made a joke with Tommy. You know, when you're on staff, you get the really big water bottle. All right. So uh, this is where it, <laughs> so they flee, okay? They're all over. They're, uh, the disciples are fleeing all over the world, right? And, uh, and Google Maps, if you look on Google Maps, how many of you did that as, as you were looking up Antioch and Jerusalem as you read? Anybody? Anybody? See, you know what? Here, here's a reason why you, we need to bring our Bibles to church, right? Like the Bible, when I was growing up, the Bible was the original fidget spinner, Right, because you're sitting there, you're like trying to listen to the message, and then you go in the back and you're looking at the maps, right? And you don't have maps, and I didn't give you a map, and you're like, "Where's Antioch?" Well, I'll tell you. So, to get to Antioch from Jerusalem, it's 300 miles, right? So if you do that now, you can jump in the car and take the M5, and you can be there in nine and a half hours by car. But back then, it was, you know, you're walking 15, 20 miles a day, right? It would take you about 15 days to get there, right? So here's Antioch, and Antioch is uh, it's a different place from Jerusalem, right? When you look at the ancient world, you have Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. Think about, uh, think about the Mediterranean like a little elbow, right? So those three along the land. 
And uh, so um, for us, it would be Chicago, right? For here in the United States, we have New York, L.A., Chicago. Right? When we think about Europe, right, we would, we would say Moscow, Istanbul, London. Or in Asia, we might say Tokyo and Jakarta and uh, Delhi, right? So this is the size of Antioch, right? Antioch is Chicago big. It is London big. It's Delhi big. These are world centers. Everybody's coming in and out of this place. And uh, this is the setting. And this is where people are running to, right? The scripture says that this is where they're running to. And um, so as the story picks up, this message is spreading like wildfire. Spreading like wildfire. I, I want you to feel this morning the intensity of time. So one of my kids, he's in a writing class right now. Right? Some of you haven't had writing class for 50 years, but you remember, you remember the idea of transition words, right? Between paragraphs, it makes a story better, right? And one of the categories of, of transition words is, are temporal words, temp- words that give a sense of time right, where you, you feel the passage of time. And Acts 10 and 11 are so good for that, right? They're so good for that. You feel it. Did you feel it when you were reading it? No? Okay. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us on a little survey here. Ready? Okay. So, Acts 10.3. One day at about three in the afternoon, Cornelius has a vision. Acts 10.7. When the angel had gone, Cornelius calls three of his staff and sends them to Joppa, Acts 10.9. Noon on the following day, as Cornelius' party was approaching the city, Peter goes up to the roof to pray and, have, and had a vision himself. Acts 10.17, while Peter is wondering what the vision means, Cornelius' men are knocking on the gate and calling out, Is Simon Peter there? In Acts 10.19, the Holy Spirit says to Peter, Three men are downstairs looking for you. Do not hesitate. I've sent them. Acts 10.23, the next day, Peter and some followers leave for Caesarea. Acts 10.24, they arrive the following day. Acts 10.30, four days ago, Cornelius is telling a story here. Four days ago, I'm sitting at home praying at three in the afternoon when a man in shiny clothes appears. Acts 10.44, as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit came on all who were there. Acts 10.48, they were all baptized, and Cornelius asked them to stay for a couple days. All right, slows down a little bit, right? So he's staying for a few days. Soon the news reaches the apostles in Acts 1, Acts 11, 11, 11. Just then, and again, going back to that account, just then three men were sent from Caesarea. Acts 15, at 11, 15, Peter says, as I began to speak, right, he's retelling the story, and now to, on to our passage, Acts eleven nineteen starts, and many of the translations start with this word, meanwhile. Meanwhile, right? Meaning, you know, it has that very Marvel-esque feel to it, right? Any Marvel fans here? Like the idea that over here, right, over here, Cornelius and his family coming to God. Over here, Peter's getting a vision. But meanwhile, over here, the persecution is happening, and people can't keep their mouth closed, about Jesus, right? Acts, 10, uh, Acts 11, 22, when the church in Jerusalem heard, they sent Barnabas. Do you feel the intensity of time? 
Do you see the word choice, the use, the use of the writer? It was so important to the writer here that we know the intensity. And what does that intensity tell us? God is doing something. Right? Why, why, why are they so concerned about every hour? Why describe three in the afternoon? Right? Why say the very next day? Why talk about being banging on the gate? Right? They want us to feel it. It's so important. Right? God is at work. And so when the persecution happened, they took off through the Roman world. Right? And, uh, and they're all roaming around trying, that's not really how it happened, right? They scattered and ran, right? And, and I want us to understand something about the ancient world. Um, in the ancient world, the Jewish populations, they had what's called the Jewish quarter. We had one in here in New York City 100 years ago, LES, Lower East Side, right? There's still some of these really cool synagogues in the Lower East Side. If you ever want to go explore, it's fantastic. Um, but all of these cities, all these major cities, had a Jewish quarter. Antioch was one of those. And those, so about 5% of Antioch was Jewish, right, in the Jewish quarter. And so it was to these places that the believers fled, right? And because the passage says what? It says that they went and they were sharing only with Jews. How do you do that when you're running around the world? Well, you go to the Jewish quarter where you feel comfortable, right? This was not real cross-cultural, Right? There was some similarities, and I'll talk about that in a second. But as they went out, right, they were landing in the Jewish quarter. To give you an idea of, of 5% of, uh, of Antioch, it would be like, we all know Manhattan. So in Manhattan, it would be Hell's Kitchen and Chelsea, which is where some of our favorite restaurants are, right, honey? So, um, so it would be that. That would be the Jewish quarter. Or Rockland, 400,000 in our county, right? It would be like Pearl River, right? So these are the places that they went and um, as, they, as they arrived, they would step in and they would feel somewhat comfortable, right? Because they had a shared heritage. Um, so we're talking about 300 miles, right? And uh, that, that, that's not real close, right? In those, it, now, 300 miles feels a little far, right? But in those days, it was quite a journey. And uh, as we said, 15, mile, they weren't, they, 15 days, it wasn't running back and forth all of the time. And so the Jews in Antioch, they had developed their own, you know, they, they, they were a little different, right? They were urban, right? They, uh, they, they spoke a, uh, a, a um, Syrian-accented Hebrew, right? They, they had, they existed and operated at a different place. And, and so as the believers arrived, they arrived in this place and there were, there were Jews that had a strong Jerusalem heritage there were Jews that had spent generations in Antioch, right? And then here they are, believers, and they're surrounded by Greeks and Romans and tradesmen and soldiers and sailors, people from all over the world. And as they landed, they were in this melting pot, this place of great diversity. And, uh, and so that's how they, they had to adjust. Now, um, another thing that I think we need to think about with Antioch is this. Uh, those of us who, whose family emigrated to the United States, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, uh, when they came here, think about how a new context shapes us over time, right? 
So you move here, maybe, how, how different is your family after 20 years living here in the United States or wherever you go, or 50 years or 100 years? Think about how much you change and adapt. And uh, so as they, as they arrived, there, was, there, was, there, were, there had been Jews in Antioch for several centuries. Okay, and this is where they land. They land in such a diverse place. And uh, so we have, we have the church on the run. We have them landing in this new place. And so as I said before, never in a million years would the disciples think up the strategy that God gave them to reach the nations. And uh, you know what? Aren't we so thankful? Are we so thankful that there were a few that said, wow, the message of Jesus is just too big to keep to ourselves. The message is too big. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, um, a few years ago, I was living in India. This, uh, Jenny and I were engaged at this time. Live, we were dating uh, long distance, right? And uh, I got a call from a friend in Washington, D.C., and he said, hey, there's a young guy who's coming to, uh, to visit. He's on a spiritual pilgrimage. He's trying to figure things out. He's going to come and spend a week in an ashram. He's going to go up to Haridwar and Gangotri, the headwaters of the Ganges. He's trying to like have this spiritual journey, and I want you to sit down with him, spend a little time with him, see where he is, what's going on in his life, and uh, talk to him about the Lord. So I picked him up at Delhi Airport. You can get in Delhi traffic and be stuck in a cab for two hours. All right? Um, you think New York's bad. Uh, but we're in the car, and, and uh, we're, we're talking a little bit, and I said, tell me about, tell me about Jesus. Like, what, what do you think about him? And he said, uh, he said man, I, I love Jesus. And I was like, that's great. I said, who, who, are you, uh, who are you studying? Who are you studying the Bible with? You have a group of people you're looking at Bible, or are you connected with a fellowship? And he said, he said, man, that's not a part of my culture. He said, I don't do that stuff. And I, and I said, it may be because we, Jenny and I were engaged, right? I was a man in love. Um, I said, you know what? If, when you say that you love someone, it shapes everything about the way you live your life, right? When you love somebody, you know, when, when I met Jenny, fell in love with her, I wanted to know everything about her. I wanted to meet her friends, her family. I wanted to see where she went to school. I wanted to go to her favorite places, Right, that, that's what love is. Right, and so I, I said, that, that's what love is. If, if you love Jesus, give him a chance. Yeah. Right, give him a chance. Seek him out wherever he can be found. You know, and not just, not just write it off and say, oh, I, I, I love the individual. But really try to understand who he is. He'll captivate you. Read, read the scripture. Read what people are writing. Sit down and study. Pray. Have a time of silence. He was really into meditation. So I was like, have a time of silence where you just listen and let the Lord speak to you. Love, and this is exactly, this is exactly what I think was going on with those from Cyrene and Cyprus, right? Um, to give you an idea, I, again, who has your, you have your Bible? Go back to the map a little bit. But in the back, you see Cyrene, is modern-day Libya on the coast of North Africa, right? 
a thousand mile journey from, from Jerusalem on land, right? But you can get there by boat. Cyprus is an island, right, near Greece. And so both of these, they're, 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 uh, they're travelers. They're, you, you, to use that classic, you, you can't get there from here, right? And so as they traveled, as they fled, as they entered into Antioch, these were people that were saying, I can't not tell the story. You know, you can imagine them on the ship headed to Antioch. And, uh, you know, they're talking with somebody and they say, hey, um, are, you one, are, are you curious why I'm running away with my wife and family? Well, let me tell you, right? Let me tell you about Jesus. Like, he, he has changed our life, and we, he's so important to us, and we're being hunted down, and we're running, but we're full of joy, and we want you to know, right? And so as they go, everywhere they go, they're telling the story of Jesus, right? And they're ignoring those instructions about, hey, just share with Jews, Right? I don't know if those were instructions or if it was just a natural bridge that they hadn't jumped yet. Uh, but here they are. They're like, you have to know. They're just telling their story. They're telling the story, the most compelling story. They're talking about who he claimed to be and all of his teachings that are so radical. You know, when, when, when people talk about Jesus being... Uh, you know, not interesting to them. I'm like, oh my goodness. Do you, do you know the crazy things that Jesus told us to do? Right? It's the radical things. You know, if you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. Whoa. Let that land. Anybody can love their friends, but love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Right? If somebody asks for your parka, give them your gloves and your hat and your scarf also. Right? If you love me, obey all of my commandments. This is, this is wild, edgy stuff that Jesus invites us to. And this is the message that they couldn't keep quiet about. Um, and uh, so, so powerful. So as it gets out, as people are talking about what's happening up there in Antioch, right? Can you imagine words coming down? There, there are people in Antioch, in the church, that are looking at their brothers from Cyrene and Cyprus and going, what is, they're, they're not doing it right. They're not doing what we're supposed to do. And they're, they're, you know, they're calling Jerusalem on the phone. Hey, we have a problem up here. We're not doing church the way we're supposed to do it. What do we do? And, uh, and the apostles send Barnabas. A person full of faith in the spirit. A good person. Right? Who went up. And as he arrives, it says he saw. Right? He saw it and he said it was good. He saw it and said it was good. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You know, so as, as, uh, as people were uncomfortable, as they saw the gospel jumping cross-cultural barriers, right? So naturally, isn't that it? Isn't that it? How often do we just focus on the people we think that we can communicate with easily, right? But the heart of God is a mission, missional heart. We see that. We always go back to John 3.16 for a reason. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Right? 
missional heart. And so these people from Cyrene and Cyprus, they are like, there's no barrier that's going to stop us from talking about Jesus. And Barnabas gets there, and he's a bold one. You know, as I said before, he's an encourager, but he's also really bold. So you know the story. You remember where we see him first in Acts? The, uh, you know, Saul, Saul's doing crazy stuff, right? Leading the persecution. People are dying. People are being stoned. Stephen's being stoned. He has a conversion. Saul has a conversion, and, uh, but the, the apostles are really still afraid of him, right? They don't want anything to do with him. Their doors are closed. And it's Barnabas that says, no, you got to listen. A man uh, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. No, let him in. This is a good thing. This is what God is doing. Let him in. Uh, then we see in this passage too, Barnabas, at this time, remember Paul had run away. He's in Tarsus. He's home. He had fled attempts on his life. He's in this sort of this hermitage phase, right? He's, he's a monk, right? He's studying. He's thinking. He's meeting with God. And Barnabas goes, I don't want to do this alone. Like, this is, we got to invite Paul. Paul's got a great story. He's got a great education. He's got something to contribute. Let's do this together, right? And he went up and he encouraged Paul. Come on, let's do it. Later, we're going to see, uh, he's going to appear again, Barnabas and, and, and Paul get in an argument, right? They get in an argument over John Mark. John Mark is a relative of Barnabas. And uh, Paul is fed up. He's like, this kid is too young, like, he quit on us. Let's not take him. And Barnabas is like, no. You've got to give him another chance. Saul, you got another chance. Right? And uh, so as we, we look at him, what a, what a guy, right? Of all those early church people, this is, this is a guy we could chill with, right? He's an encourager. He says you can do it. He sees potential. He's hungry for the kingdom of God. He's a person full of faith. That's, those are the people we want. To, to be around, right? Um, you know, his message, his message back to Jerusalem was this, don't quench the fire that God started. Don't quench it. A few years ago, I was, I was in church. We were at another church, and uh, I went into the kitchen because I love bagels and coffee. And uh, I went into the kitchen, and there's three guys there. One guy's a little older than me, two guys in their 30s. And uh, we're, we're talking, you know, putting jam and, uh, and butter on the bagels, drinking coffee. And, and I felt compelled to ask these guys this question. I was like, hey, can you tell me, tell me the story about your encounter with Jesus? What was that like? And so as we started telling stories, it was like we, we, uh, we started getting crazy. It was like a powder keg. We're laughing, telling stories about how, how nobody could put a lid on our love for Jesus. And we're high-fiving. We're like middle schoolers, like smiling, pushing each other in the bushes. Right? It was fantastic. And then there was this very sobering thought. And this was it. What, what, what happened to us? Some of us adults know this experience, right? We had an encounter with Jesus. We were crazy and hungry, and we loved him, and we were like, whatever you want to do with my life. But something happened that quenched the fire a little bit, that tempered us. And as we told stories, one of the most common stories among us was we had people, well-meaning brothers and sisters, come and say, hey, you need a little more maturity. You need to settle down a little bit. 
You need discipleship, right? You know what that means, right? We've got to straighten you out and help you know how to do evangelism. I'm like, this is evangelism. We're living life, right? As we told these stories about sort of being wear down, it was, it was so good. I said, man, this was so good for me. You know, to remember our first love, to rekindle that fire. And that was, that was great church. That was great church that day. That's the word. As we think about what God is doing in our life, let no man quench. And make sure that we're not the people that quench it in other people. It's so important. Man, uh, we're, we are so thankful for uh, what God's doing in our youth here. We love you guys. Yeah. And uh, we, are, we are so thankful what God's doing in everybody in our churches. We, as we see people stepping into, stepping into crazy things and hungry and new experiences. And uh, it, is, it is such a blessing. You know, the, the, uh, the passage here, it, uh, it ends, and it, it feels a little disconnected. The only real connection here is geography, really. You have the early church. It's happening around the same time in that year where Paul and Barnabas are teaching these new believers. And, uh, and it says that Agabus and some other prophets come from Jerusalem, and they arrive, and uh, they, Agabus gives a prophecy about a famine coming to, to Judea, and I don't want you to, I mean, I, I love that God uses prophecy through his people. Uh, I don't want you to miss an important piece here. One is that famine was very common, right? And so we're thankful for the prophecy, but no, this stuff was happening all the time. There were, there were actually Roman offices designed for famine mitigation, right? To make sure that famine didn't destroy the land. So there, there, were, there was that happening. But I want you to see the response of the church. Think about the identity of the church. Here we have the Jewish diaspora in Antioch, people who loved God, hungry for Jesus. We had Greeks and Romans, Phoenicians, people, all these people had come to know God, uh, Jesus in this special way, and they're gathered together. And when Agabus gives his uh, prophecy, the response echoes what we see in Acts 2, right? The, the response was um, that they would, they would give, right? They, the response is that uh, just like, you know, in, in Acts 2 where it says that they shared all things in common and made sure that nobody was in need, here in Acts 11 they say they mobilized their resource and everybody gave according to what they had to address the need. We see in this passage belonging. The, for the first time, we see a global church, right? Not a regional church, not a church that just belongs to Jerusalem and Judea, not just about the man in Galilee, not just about the apostles in Jerusalem, but Jesus is everywhere. His people are everywhere, and his story is being told to everyone. The lid is off. Praise God. And what an exciting time. What an exciting time. And so as, as we work through Acts, as we look further, this is what we see. We see a, a passion and a hunger to know Jesus. 
and we see him using all of us. I, I, I want to say this, and you know, some of the commentaries that, on Acts 11, it, it, uh, it uses the term ordinary people. I don't like that. Because I, I think all of us are extraordinary by design. Right? And God, and it's, it's just about being obedient. Right? Following the direction that Jesus gives. He says, he says go. You know, I, I, uh, I teach intercultural studies and mission. And uh, a friend of mine, one thing that he always says, he says this. He says, you know, in, in, uh, in the Great Commission, it says, go. He said, uh, when, when people sit around and they go, they ask themselves, well, am I called to go? That's not the question. No, that, that happened a long time ago, 2,000 years. He commanded all of us to go. The question is, am I called to stay? Right? And what does that mean? That means that we have to look outward. We have to look outward. And I, I want to highlight, as we close, this is the takeaway. One, carry the torch of your first love. Don't hold it back. Don't worry about the barriers that you might experience culturally or religiously in love. Be yourself, right? This is, this is the story of my Jesus. And two, be a Barnabas. Be a Barnabas. Be an encourager and be bold, right? Don't quench the fire that we see, even if it looks different. And so I, I think uh, I, I myself, like I was compelled this week to sort of confess that there have been times in my journey that I haven't stepped in with readiness and eagerness to partner with what God's doing in the lives of other people. And so as a church, this is an opportunity, all souls, right? That as, as we see God doing things in each other's life, that we step in and we encourage this amount of age. You know, some of us are afraid of teenagers. Don't be afraid of them, right? You know what I'm talking about. You're on the train and you're like, oh, a bunch of teenagers, someone stand over here. No, let's, let's join together and let's be that church that encourages each other and, and lives life together. And uh, let's not, again, the message of Jesus is too big to keep to ourselves. It's too big to keep in this place. Right? Let's carry it out in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word again. Lord, you are so good to us. We love you so much. Jesus, uh, we, we pray, Jesus, that uh, you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us the energy, the commitment, the fearlessness to do what you told us to do, Lord. You say, if you love me, you'll follow all my commands, Lord. Help us to not be judges. Help us to love our enemies. Help us to give and be generous and kind. Help us to be your people. Lord, like we see in, uh, like we see in that passage towards the end of uh, chapter 11, it says in Antioch, they were first called Christians. And uh, I, I think about that. I, I imagine... Lord, that when they said that, they were saying, we're going to call you Christian because that's all you talk about. That's how you, you kind of, you want to be like him, don't you? You want to be just like Jesus. Lord, help us to want to be just like you. 
Lord, give us the fearlessness and the boldness and the love for you. Uh, So we, we pray for more strength. In the name of Jesus, amen.